0: You will, open up your Bibles to Luke's gospel, and we're going to talk about healing tonight. God's powerful. God's great. He does wonderful things. Uh, Luke 10, and uh, this may be a familiar verse of scripture, but how many of you know, familiar or not, if the policeman pulls you over and says, uh, show me your driver's license, you'll say, I don't got a new one. I got the same one I've always had. You'll say, is it still good? And you'll say, well, yeah. Well, then you don't need a new one. The old one's just fine, right? So these verses are just fine to look at again. And they work. So Luke 10, 19, we'll begin reading. And it says, behold, I give you the authority to trample, which is to just totally destroy, just to smash, tear apart, to trample on serpents and scorpions, And notice the next part, and over all the power of the enemy. So he said, you do the trampling, I give you the authority to do that. And he said, and over all the works of the enemy. And then he said, and nothing shall by any means hurt or do harm to you. So you have a right to trample on things that could do harm to you. Right, And he said, nothing shall by any means hurt you or harm you, but how many things are in this world that want to harm us? So you have to trample them under feet. But I'm going to read this again and look at something else here. He said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now understand this. They had come to the place where they came back and they had been using the name of Jesus and utterly destroying Satan in every match. In other words, whenever they ran into a demon, possession, demon problem, whatever it was, they got victory over it and they came back and said, Look it, this is happening through your name. And... uh, So they were pretty excited. But how did they trample him? How were they trampling him? They were trampling him, he tells us how in verse 17. Then the 70 returned. So this isn't the 12, this is 70 others. This isn't, you know, sometimes people get the idea well, if you're just one of the apostles, then you can have a miracle, you have authority, you have rights. You have privileges. But what he said was, no, this was not even the 12. These were some other people. And he said, and then the 70 returned with joy, saying, or because, and saying, Lord, even. Notice that phrase, even. It's real important in this context. Because what are we talking about? Healing. But he said, even. Even or also. So, he said, even or also, the demons are subject to us. He said, in other words, he was saying also. In other words, whatever he was talking about, whatever they were talking about, they all came back with the same conclusion that even the demons are subject to us in your name. So when we use your name, when we use your name, even the demons are subject. And then he explains. And what does it mean they're subject? In other words, they have to respond to them. And how did they respond to them? Because they knew the Lord? No because they used his name. So the authority that he gave here after explained that they had to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy was based on the name of Jesus. The way that they trampled on him and the way that they were not harmed by him, it's real interesting, you never hear anybody in the New Testament that was dealing with a devil, that was a believer, ever get attacked or suffer harm from that spirit. But when you see other people experimenting and trying with the name, you see that they suffered harm. But here he said, they will not hurt you, but that, that in this context, he said they're subject to us, but notice, not just to us, The reason they're subject to us is in your name. So notice that phrase, subject to you or me or us. How are they subject to me and to you? He said, in his name or through the use of his name. And so when we say this, he goes on to explain what the subject or their subjection looked like. You know, we talk about being in subjection to somebody. It means to be under their rulership, their direction, whatever it is. And he said, they're subject to us in your name. Not just to us, but in your name, they're subject. And Jesus said, they won't harm you, and you can trample them. You can destroy their works. But all that being said, if you look at the context... What are we talking about tonight? Healing. But he's connecting what he had already said or what they already knew to this other subject. So he said, if you put it over here, he said, even as. In other words, here and even as here. So they had just got explained or given instruction and direction and reasonings behind using his name. He said, look, they're subject to you. Through my name, they will obey you, they will respond to you, and you can utterly destroy their works and deal with them and make them subject to you so that no harm comes. But notice the connection. Lord, even. So though they explain this... And how that these things had to obey and how they trampled them and they did this. Recognize he said, even. Well, when he said, even the demons, that means there was something else that was subject to them. It means that they were using the name for something else. Because in that verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. We would say it like this. They are also subject to your name. We found that through your name. Not only were demons subject. Or these other things. But demons were too. And then Jesus said. Uh, verse 18. And he said to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Well. Well. We know the stories in the Bible that Satan tried to sit where God was sitting and tried to take over. He tries to take over. And what did the Lord do? He tossed him out of heaven to the earth. We know that from the Old Testament. And so here he is down here on the earth. And we know how he operates because we see how he operated even with God. Tried to take over. Tried to rule. Tried to take a place that didn't belong to him. And what did the Lord do? Cast him out. Said, you don't get to stay here, get. And tossed him out down to the earth. And then he gave man authority over him. And man yielded way. Thank God the Lord got the authority back. And so he said here in verse 19, behold, I give you the authority. Now, what kind of authority was he given? It sounds like in the context, the same kind of authority God used to toss him out of heaven. Because he goes on to say, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. So he just got done saying, they said, look, they're their subject to us. He said, oh, I saw when they were subject to God in heaven when they got tossed out. I, I, I give you that authority too. In other words, God tossed them out of heaven. You know, the devil knows what it's like to get tossed out. He does. And he knows you have the right to toss him out. But here's the thing. How does he operate? He operates on lies and deception. He tells you why you don't have enough faith. They never even talked about faith here. Why, you know, you've just done too many bad things, so he kind of has a right in you. And all these different reasons to get you to forfeit your right to exercise authority over him. And we know that the dude has got some skill at this. You with me? You say, well, why do you mean he has skill at this? Well, we know from the Bible that he was able to persuade a third of the angels that were with God to follow him to overthrow God. One third. However millions or billions that is, he was able to talk them into overthrowing God. And reigning. There's a lot of thought behind that. Then the devils or those fallen angels must have known that Lucifer had some power. But all of it was given to him by God. He was a created being. But he was able through his words to trick them. And to get them believing so much that they rose up with him. So in one sense, when we say, behold, he said, behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, it wasn't just him. It was him and a third of the angels, the ones that followed him. So it's not just one demon, but it's all those fallen spirits that decided to go his way. They all know they are subject. They all know they have to obey. But what happens is people don't always know and don't believe, and so they don't apply. And so here he said, I give you the, the authority through my name to do this. And you can trample him under feet. But that authority has to cover, because this is kind of an add-on, or a we found this out. That this right here is actually connected to healing that even the demons is connected to healing. Notice verse 1 of that same chapter. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, right? the seven, We read about when they returned. Here is when they go out. And he appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face, even or into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So they were preparing the way of Jesus, prepping the town for a Jesus meeting. And they didn't have flyers back then. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have, you know, pop-up ads. They didn't have billboards. So Jesus said, you go, guys go before every city that I'm about to go. And they actually prepared the way so that the people were primed. We can prime people and bring them to church so they're ready for the Lord. We can pray for people that we bring. We can pray for different people, you know, um, so their hearts turn. We can give them the message. We can prepare the way for them, so to speak. And that being said, they were preparing the way. So what did they do? How weak was it? How powerful was it? He said, then he said to them, the harvest truly is great. This hasn't changed. But the laborers or the people that are doing something about it are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's interesting that he says that to them and to the 12. But he didn't say pray about yourself going. He just said, you guys go. But pray for more. So people who are going should be praying for others to go. And when I mean go, that doesn't mean leave here and go to Africa. But that could mean that. But it means to be someone who brings someone, reach someone, tell someone. And it says here, but whatever house, and he goes through, carry, no money bag. He starts giving these instructions. And then it says this, uh, verse 9, as he's giving these instructions for going. And when you enter into these cities, he said, and heal the sick there. He didn't say, give it a try. He said, go do this. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And what's he doing? He said, you go there. And we know it's in the context of using his name. He said, you go use my name and heal the sick. And then after you heal the sick, once you got their attention, now say to them, the kingdom of God's near. And I bet you they told him, Jesus is coming to town, and uh, you're going to meet the man. And by the time he shows up, that town is at attention or going, whoa. And so what they did was they went out with the instructions of, you just go out into every town. The first thing he said, he didn't even say explain a lot to them. He said, heal the sick and then tell them. So I don't know if they got people together and the first thing they said, do you need anything from God? And they said, you know, if they're open to them praying, and then they prayed and healed the sick, and then they said, the kingdom of God's near, and uh, just to let you know, because in the context, Jesus is coming to town. We have a little bit different message. We have a message that Jesus is returning to the earth. He's not coming in physical form, but he's returning to the earth. But you can have him in your heart right now, and you can have his life in you now. So what's interesting here is when they were given this authority to go heal the sick, then read this. Let's read verse 9 in the beginning, and then we'll jump to 17. And whatever city you enter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 9, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of heaven is near, or come near to you. In other words, you're experiencing God's kingdom right now. And Jesus is going to be in this town shortly. You're starting to experience it. Now verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even or also the demons are subject to us in your name. So in other words, you could read it like this. Jesus, we went into the town and started doing exactly like you said. They had already watched him minister. They already knew what he was doing. They knew he dealt with sickness and disease, and they knew he dealt with demons too. So they go into the town, and they start using the name of Jesus, and they start healing the sick, and they ran into devils along the way and started delivering the people, commanding the people to be delivered of the power and commanding those powers to let go of them. So he said, notice... And then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name or through your name. In other words, what they just got done saying was, hey, we went out and we were doing exactly what you said. And we were getting people healed and, and healing the sick. And we were healing the sick and healing the sick. And we found out that we cast out devils and they were even subject." They also were subject. Just like sickness was subject to your name, demons were subject to your name. And we went out and we just started doing this. And and we got such great joy. And Jesus said, um, verse 20, Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Yeah, they are. But in the context, he's saying, listen, sickness, disease, demons, the power of darkness are subject to you. But Make sure that the priority of your rejoicing is this. Your names are written in heaven. That's where the pinnacle should be. My name's written in heaven. Isn't it interesting? When they did this very thing in Acts 3, at the gate, beautiful, they came up. There was a crippled man. They commanded him to be healed, and they grabbed him by his, I almost said by his feet, but he was crippled in his ankles. They'd drag him around. Stand up. And they're dragging him around. I'm trying, but you got me by the legs. No, they grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up. It's a different gospel version. <laughs> uh, he's like, I will. Just let go of my feet. But they pulled, he pulled him by his hands and stood him up. And it's interesting that they didn't all jump and shout about the healing. Only the guy who got healed. Maybe they said under their breath, this is exciting, but glory to God, we belong to the king of the kingdom. These things will happen, but we're going to live in heaven forever. Sickness is temporary. Demons are temporary here. Hallelujah. But they didn't rejoice in it, but the guy who got healed did. He was jumping and leaping and praising God. But how many people today would jump and leap and praise God who just saw that, and they said, and there's nothing wrong with rejoicing in healings. But remember the priority of life, just like we talked about this morning, is lost people, salvation, heaven. I mean, what if we healed everybody who was sick in the whole world and delivered everybody of demons in the whole world and then they all went to hell? They all danced in the spirit or got blessed with goosebumps. And they all went to hell. Oh, yeah, Lord, but it was an awesome service. Should have been there. He's like, I was. That was my presence. Oh, yeah, that's right. You with me? God wants us to use our authority, wants us to use the power that's been given to us. And, and he said, just like it's subject here, it's subject there. And so we need to know. We do have power as believers. But we even have something more than these people do. did. Because they didn't have the new birth. They didn't have new life. This authority they were operating in, we operate in, but we have a step further. You knew that, right? Because they didn't have new life. They were not the temple of God. They were not what you are. They couldn't be until Jesus died and rose again. Now, we still have this authority because Jesus... uh, expressed the facts that he said, go into all the world and in my name, cast out devils. He said, heal the sick. But he said, you'll need to wait till you receive power on the inside and the Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll be filled with power. So that was a dynamic they did not have. They had gotten authority or power that way, you know, and they could use the name... But now we have something different than they had at that time. Because they were operating as men under the law who could not be saved. Who couldn't have a brand new spirit. Who could not be made eternally alive in the sense with the life of God. Now all people will live so to speak forever. But not all people have the life of God. And so Romans 8 is a very interesting chapter about the aspects of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the believer and the eternal life of God being in a believer. Uh, From the first verses on, you see that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is none. If there is any, it's a device of Satan. I mentioned that the other day in prayer a little bit, that one of the enemy's devices is guilt, condemnation, sorrow. People need to know that. If you are an emotional person, then you need to learn to develop and challenge some of those negative emotions. It's the truth. Because he said, we're not to sorrow as the world sorrows who has no hope. When people die, I know, you know, I've seen it over the years where somebody who sorrows wrong, and then it just, when in the passing of somebody, and it, it just lasts and just messes them up for a long time. When he told us you can sorrow, but not like the world that has no hope not looking to the future when you get to see the person again, if they're saved. And we know this, when they turned that man who had not been living right over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, he finally made an internal change and made some outward change. And he repented of what he was doing. And the Bible said, Paul said, have that guy come back in. He said, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So he said, we're not ignorant. Well, if they were not, and he explained what one of the devices was we should recognize what the devices are too. He said, lest he be overcome and swallowed up by too much sorrow. Just self-condemned. Man, I just blew it. He said, receive one back. He said, that is an attack of the enemy that can swallow them up. So you have to be careful of emotions. Because they can be devices. Divisive right like one person said i just speak my mind I heard a preacher say he went to be at the lord in the 40s and he was sharing how he ran into a lady who said i just always have to speak my mind he said because her mind is not renewed he said she has very few friends because if our mind is not spiritually minded what we speak may be detrimental And the enemy will try to attack people in the emotional realm or in their mind. And so we need to recognize there's no condemnation. And we need to be careful about highs and lows emotionally. You with me? Because the enemy will try to rob. Right? And so we're not ignorant of his devices. So if he... He's working you, trying to get you down and get you sorrowful and feel condemned and feel guilty. No, he's trying to get an advantage, and we're not allowing that, right? But anyway, then the very next verse talks about for the law, which is the governing rule of the life, law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's the Spirit's life you receive in Christ Jesus made you free from the law of sin, And Death or spiritual death and its effects. So in other words, your body will get old But there are effects of spiritual death sickness disease demonic power Separation from God poverty and lack the spirit of God's in us. We should learn then how to activate and walk in that life This is an aspect those people didn't have so let's look at verse 13 actually, let's not we will But not just yet. Uh, We'll start in uh, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? He told all these Christians, you're in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You could say, you're alive in the Spirit. He told him, don't practice wrong things or you will start becoming mindful of the flesh and then it will ill affect you. But here he said, you're not in the flesh. Meaning this, because we're in the spirit, this is an interesting thought and I kind of mentioned it a little bit during the offering but I'm going to pick up the thought. Because you are saved now, or sanctified, or set apart, or made new. You are not what you once were. You know, because I believe we're probably talking to all believers here. So, therefore, the Lord wants you to make sure you put the right things in you, your body, and everything, because you are not what you once were. In other words, I used to be a sinner and live according to my carnal mind, So I would watch and listen to anything I wanted to, right? I did. And so when I got saved, now that I'm set apart, I don't put the same fuel in. Because I have become a new creation in Christ. If I put the same old fuel in myself that I ran on back then... I'm going to have problems because that fuel does not feed the new life that I have. It doesn't align me with it. It would be kind of like trying to give gasoline to a horse or trying to put straw in a gas tank. Hey, the straw works on the horse and the gas works in the car, but there are certain things that just don't work on one to the other. And when you try to feed yourself and try to do and feed the way the world feeds, you'll find that it don't work well. Why? Because you're set aside, so you need new fuel. That's why you need the truth of God's Word, and you should be careful what you feed on, or you won't be running right. If you want to live like a horse, eat straw. If you want to go like a car, drink gas. If you want to be like a Christian, you got to renew your mind with the right truth. If you want to live like the world, keep feeding on what they feed on, even though you've got new life. But you won't be running properly, because that fuel doesn't work in you. You with me? Free thought. So it's good to, to, to realize, you know, if the Lord deals with you about stuff, it's because He knows what belongs in your being. I mean, if you went to a car dealership and they said, hey, you put gas in here, and then, then you get home and, and you're like, man, all I got is soda. Let's put soda in there, that's fine. What do they know anyway? They're the creators of the car. God is the creator of you. He's the one who recreated you in Christ. And to think, well, I can eat what I want to eat and I'll be okay, crazy. That's fuel to your spiritual life. You can't can't put soda in your car and think it's going to be okay constantly. Hallelujah. Ready? Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So we're in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're in the Spirit if God's Spirit dwells in you. If he would have stopped right there, we could come to our own determination whether God is in us or not. But notice he said this. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So in other words, if you have Jesus... You have His Spirit, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit, and His Spirit and His life is in you. So if His Spirit is in you, and if His life is in you, one thing that's going to make the motor run right is the way you think, the way you believe. But notice verse 11. Now we know the Spirit's in us from the verses before if you've given your life to Christ, He said, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. His spirit in you will work on your body. You have authority over things, and there's life in you and his spirit in you to back the authority that's been given to you. And from within. From within. It's not a feeling. It's a belief. Now this may sound like an interesting set of scriptures. But it seems good to read these. So go to Philippians 4. How many times did Jesus challenge people. When they were facing problems. There, this, this right here is what he challenged people on many times when they were facing problems and they needed healing or they needed deliverance and maybe the word got worse instead of better, you know. And sometimes that happened when people were even coming to Jesus. All of a sudden it got worse right then. You know, one person finally got Jesus to come with them and it started getting worse and then the kid dies and distress and he said and he would tell them things don't fear don't worry don't fear only believe so in understanding we have authority over sickness and disease and there is a power in us called god himself the holy spirit the life of christ that is superior quickens changes and can we need to recognize worry could be the enemy to this. So Philippians 4, we're going to read this. It says in the 8th, we'll read 4 verse 6. Be anxious, fretful, worrisome for nothing. That is a command. Do not worry about anything. Wow. Wouldn't it have been nice if he would have said unless it's really hard. He gave a command. Jesus used this command concerning finances. He said, if you want your finances to be okay, you cannot worry. What I find interesting is what he goes into the end part of the chapter 2 of Philippians is, finances but what was he teaching here he was teaching a principle that Jesus also used concerning a uh, living victorious over the power of the enemy and boy what did he say do not be anxious don't worry don't fret don't worry for nothing or in anything Worry, there are commands in the Bible to never worry. If there are, then there has to be temptations. Because if worry was not a problem, there would be no commands not to worry. Why do we have maximum speed limit signs? Because there might be a problem of people going faster than the sign. Right, And if, if there aren't any, then we don't have to sweat it. But there is the opportunity for people to worry. And in the world we live in, if you don't worry, you don't care. In the world God lives in, if you care, you don't worry. And he commands us not to worry. Commands. And this is not my command to you. This is not your command to me. This is Jesus' command to you and me. And don't say, well, you can do this, I can't. No, we all can. It's a command, and it is really an underlying thing or the backbone in a degree of how faith kind of works. Or is allowed to work or not work. Be anxious for nothing but. So nowhere can you do this but in everything. In nothing and everything. Nowhere should you do this. So you're going to be faced with the opportunity to worry at different times. Some people have been trained to worry in their life. So you have to fix this. Because he said don't. Don't go there. I feel like we need to run the credits right now and end. (laughs) To be continued. You know, because it's like right then, you know, that's when they end it. And you're like, serious? You're going to do this in part two? I ain't going to watch this. Come on start it up again let's finish this he said don't be anxious but in everything he said pray but it can't be a worry prayer it can't be oh my goodness lord because he just told you that can't be the way it is cuz he said don't worry so you can't be bringing a worry prayer right in other words in other words if you don't pay attention you'll think he's saying don't worry about anything, but pray and go, ah, worry. No, he just got done saying you can't do that, so now pray. Then you're like, well, then what am I going to do? In other words, you can't go to him worrying and praying, so to speak. In other words, you can go there, but it can't stay with you. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In other words, when you go to pray, you give it over to God. You quit worrying. You quit entertaining. If the temptation comes to dwell on it, you don't dwell on it. You fight to get your mind back on the answer. You fight the good fight of faith. You look and imagine the answer and don't ponder the problem. Don't ponder the failure. You'll have opportunities for this in in areas with your kids, with your spouse, with your job, in life, where negative images come because we live in a negative world. You didn't notice that? And people are trained negatively. But we can be retrained. So he said, don't worry, but pray with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. So after you give this over to him and you thank him that it's in his hands and you're not entertaining it anymore, you believe that you got the answer, he said, then give thanks. And when you do it this way, because your mind's not on the problem now, it's on the solution, the greater one's in me. Life and power is mine. Authority is mine. Notice this, he said, then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, there was a story, Lester Summerall, I know this happened to to Smith Wigglesworth uh, where the devil showed up in his room one night and he saw him at the foot of the bed. And he looked up at him and the devil appeared to him in, in a bodily form. And he looked at him and said, oh, it's you, and turned over and went back to sleep. Because you shouldn't worry. Lester Summerall was in a hotel one time. I don't know. I don't think it's in that book, is it? And the bed started vibrating. He woke up, and his bed was on one side of the room, started bouncing. Bounced him right to the window that was open, and he woke up as the bed was sliding. A demon was sliding it to the window. And he just said, stop in Jesus' name. And then he went to go back to sleep. And he got woke back up and he said, put my bed back in Jesus' name. And the bed slid back to the wall. <laughs> then he went back to sleep. But how many people would be like, i bind behind you. I come out, oh, Lord, oh, the devil was here. He's been around you for years. He's been involved in our lives for years. And nobody had a panic attack. Then you talk about him and it's like, whoa. He has. He was around Jesus' life. And there's no reason to panic. And we shouldn't be conscious of him. We should be conscious of God and the angels. You ready? We need to to finish up here. He said, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will uh, guard your hearts and your minds. Your believing system, your heart, and your mind. And then he goes on through Christ Jesus or in Christ and your mind on Christ. Notice this, finally my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, not a bad report, if there is anything praiseworthy, is it worthy of praise? Can you praise the Lord? Praise the Lord, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. That's not a good report. (laughs) He said, whatever things are pure, Pure, whatever, I mean pure. If they're unpure, don't think about it. What's he trying to do? Keep people in the peace of God, keep people away from worry. You've gotten out of worry, we're going to keep you out of worry. So what are you entertaining? That's what got them into worry, and he said, don't be worrying. Pray, turn it over to God, give thanks, you'll get His peace and peace is a stamp, according to the Bible, that you are now believing. Joy and peace are stamps you're now believing. And he said, whatever things are of good report, if there's, and you need to ask yourself, is this a good report? I don't need to think about it. Any virtue and some thoughts will persist in saying, they'll think they've got a right, and they don't. And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or deeply ponder on these things. The things which you've learned, received, heard, saw in me, these do. And the God of peace, or the peace of God, will be with you. Healing is ours. You can pray. You can resist the devil. When you get done, don't get your focus on him. Don't get your focus on the problem. You can keep it on the answer. Amen? And if you're believing for money, don't see, see the bill stacking up and never changing. Have you ever imagined things changing quicker than they're supposed to? Well, I mean, if God's involved, can that not happen? Concerning finances, can He not do things on our behalf and work on our behalf? Unless we evaluate life on the natural. But concerning healing, God has healing for people. Amen? He has deliverance for people. We can stand against Him, but one thing's true. If you get prayed for and then you go think about it for the next six months, you're in trouble. Meaning the problems. We're in worry. And Jesus said do not worry. Do not fear. Don't have anxiety. Believe. In other words, get your mind on the answer. How many people ponder the problem? That's called worry. That destroys faith. Amen? And we don't want that. We will not have that. We can refuse that. Because these things are true. They can be trampled under our feet. Worry is to divide the mind and ponder the wrong thing. Amen? No wonder that would be bad fuel for me if I was pondering the wrong thing, wouldn't it? It would be be bad fuel for you if you were pondering the wrong thing, right? It would be bad fuel for any believer to ponder the wrong thing. It, I wouldn't run properly. I'd, you know, like a car with... Only three cylinders going, like an old Model T. (coughs) (coughs) If we look like that walking around, we'd think, What's wrong with you? And I saw, you know, been using the wrong gas. We'd think, Well, why are you using that kind? Well, you know, that's just what I like. Okay, then. But if you change what you feed yourself and what you think on, then you can run smooth. Amen.